Good morning. Welcome. We are in a series called Hope for the Church where we are walking through the seven prophetic messages that Jesus has for the seven historical churches in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. Although Jesus was speaking to those churches specifically, those messages are not just for those churches, but those messages are for us today. And the reason we're calling this hope for the church is because we believe Jesus hasn't given up on his church. There are things that he needs to correct in his church, and he does that, as you'll see. He comes and he brings correction, but he brings correction because he loves the church and he wants to see it thrive, and it will thrive. Even in these last days, I believe the church is going to thrive, and I have hope for the church. So we are in actually moving to chapter 3 today, and we are on the fifth church. So we have today, and then we have two more uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. Today we are going to study the church at Sardis. So let's just hop in. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour that I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have you ever been hoodwinked by an infomercial? Have you ever seen a commercial uh, as you're watching TV and you saw a product and you were just convinced, man, that product is going to change my life? So uh, I have been, I'm a sucker for this, maybe not infomercials, but I tell you what I am a sucker for. If you, like on news apps like Fox News or CNN, there's always these little articles that's like top 20 gadgets for 2023 or top gifts for dad for Father's Day or mom for Mother's Day. I love those lists like that. So recently I got on one of those lists and I saw an advertisement for a handheld vacuum cleaner for your car. And when your kids eat Nature Valley Crunchy Bars every day and leave behind enough crumbs to fill a sandbox, uh, I, like, I was like, man, I need that product. And the advertisement on the video of this handheld vacuum, it was like this thing was so powerful on these videos. I mean, it, it could like suck gum out of carpet. And I thought, oh, yeah, I need that. Okay, it looked amazing. So I paid the $35 and I got it in the mail, and I plugged it in, and when I plugged it in, this thing right here, this is it. This is the $35 piece of junk is what this is. This, this it can't suck no gum out of a carpet. It can't even barely suck a crumb off the floor. So I plugged this $35 piece of junk in, and I realized I had been the victim of false advertisement. They had sold me this thing, telling me it was going to do one thing, and it ended up just being a big let down. 
And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I, I went in and I started looking at some of the biggest advertising letdowns of all time. OK, uh, I'm just going to do three. I, I, I got kind of sucked into a black hole with this because it was fun. So uh, in 1999, there was this thing called the Rejuvenique Facial Toning Mask. It was launched. Uh, I don't know if you see this thing. Look how cre- it looks like something from uh, like a Jason movie. So it's it's terribly uh, shocking, and that's what it uses is shock therapy. Uh, and consumers said it was as bad as it sounds. Okay, so that was in 1999. Shock therapy for your face ends up being not very good. Um, okay, Skechers. I don't know if you remember uh, in the back in the. You know, just a few years ago, Skechers had these shoes that were called shape-ups. Now, if you ever wore a pair of shape-ups, if you believe the hype, hey, listen, I bought a vacuum cleaner that I thought was going to work, and you bought a pair of shoes that you thought was going to make you lose weight and tone your body. But uh, so Skechers, shape-ups, they ended up having to pay $40 million to people because it was false advertisement. They said if you buy these horribly ugly shoes and walk around in them, that it's the same as exercising. It wasn't. Uh, and then perhaps my favorite false advertisement is in uh, 1946, Camel Cigarettes had a whole advertising campaign where they claim that doctors preferred Camel's cigarettes over any other cigarette. And it's got all these pictures of doctors uh, smoking, implying that, you know, not only is this okay, but it's good for you, it's healthy for you. And so uh, these are... These are false advertisements, and nothing can be more frustrating than a false advertisement. When you've been sold something that was supposed to change your life or, or, or it was going to do something for you, and then when the reality of it, it doesn't do, and it doesn't do what it said it was going to do. And when Jesus comes to this church at Sardis, he is basically telling the Sardis church, you guys are a false advertisement. He said, you guys have a reputation for being alive. The literal translation there is that you have a name for being alive. Like you've built this name up. You've built this brand up like you're something great. Oh, you're alive. You're a church that's alive in the day. But he said, I want to tell you something. You're really dead. He said, you're claiming to be something that you're not. You have this reputation, you have this brand, you have this advertisement. But when Jesus comes to the church at Sardis and he investigates the church, the church's reality does not match up to its claims. It's like imagine if the church at Sardis had a sign out there. And instead of saying the church at Sardis, it says Life Church. We're a church that's alive. That's on the billboard outside of their church. And then when Jesus, and then when Jesus comes inside or worse, how about when people that are lost come inside and they expect to find life, they don't find anything because the church is dead. Just old, dead, stuffy religion. And you know what? I think in our day, in our time, we have to be careful that the church is not advertising falsely. We can't. We have to be careful that we're not giving people just some form or structure of godliness, but we don't have any substance or real power that can change anyone's life. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is the one. He says, I was once dead, and now I'm alive. And Jesus looks at this church and says, you're claiming to be alive, but you're really dead. He says, I'm the one who can judge what's really alive and not alive. And I'm going to tell you, Sardis, you are not alive. You have a false advertisement. You have a caricature of the real thing. 
I want to talk just for a moment about what happens when a church has a caricature of the real thing. Uh, and I want to use a phrase that I get from David Kinneman, who is a researcher at Barna. And he, he uses this term, brand Jesus. When you have brand Jesus instead of the real Jesus. You see, we have to be careful that we're not advertising a false Jesus, a Jesus that's a halfway Jesus formed in the image of culture rather than what the Bible tells us. This is brand Jesus. Um, when he, in this book, Faith for Exiles, he's studying why maybe young people are leaving the church. And he says many young people are leaving the church because they've been introduced to brand Jesus instead of the real Jesus. He says this, the church has responded to the identity pressures of culturing by offering people a Jesus brand experience rather than facilitating a transformational experience to find their identity in person in the work of Jesus. Man, we better have the real thing when people come. We better have the real thing when our kids are growing up. We don't need brand Jesus. We need the real Jesus. So brand Jesus happens when we try to have a Jesus formed into the image of the world around us. See, brand Jesus lets the individual person become the center of the universe because this is what our culture does, right? Everything in culture right now is about the individual. It's about you becoming the center of your world and your universe. But you see, biblical Christianity doesn't teach us that the individual is the sole authority of their life. But actually what biblical Christianity teaches us is that authority comes from outside of us. It's from external sources. And the external sources uh, really form us and shape us, mainly the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, the church. I am not the center of the universe and everything I say doesn't, uh, you know, shouldn't come just from my own opinions and my ideas. But there's external authoritative sources that demand something out of me, namely Jesus and the Spirit and the Scriptures and the church. So a, a brand Jesus believes that discipleship is a solo effort, that the, the best way to grow your spirituality is to go at it on your own. And this is a discipleship that's all about self-actualization or project self. When this happens, Jesus just becomes some kind of opt-in buddy. Jesus is just a tag-along to your wildest dreams. I don't know if you remember a motorcycle that has a, the little tag-along cart next to it. Remember Barney Fife had one in the Andy Griffith show, and you ride in the tag-along cart. Brand Jesus is the tag-along Jesus. That he just run, You're driving, and he rides alongside of you, and he, he makes all your wildest dreams come true. Brand Jesus simply becomes, church becomes a, a social club instead of being a place where people gather around the things of God to worship God. A brand Jesus church has capitulated to culture and expects too little of people. Yet brand Jesus, is, it, 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 church becomes the least, one of the least demanding environments for people. This is what happens when you have a brand Jesus at church. Churches no longer challenge people emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We don't call people to serve or to give. We're just happy people show up. We craft our worship services around the idea of comforting people and entertaining people instead of calling people to undertake a radical, life-altering mission. We're handing, our spirit, we're handing out spiritual participation trophies for people that just show up rather than calling them to lay it all down on the field and to give their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Brand Jesus stops at a simple decision to serve. You, you, you prayed a prayer 30 years ago, or you prayed a prayer some time ago. And listen, the prayer is important, and the decision is important. But Jesus, uh, when, you, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, that's just the starting point. It's not the destination. We're too satisfied for a one-time prayer, a one-time moment. But what Jesus wants you to do is when you make that moment, when you say that prayer, then you go on a journey of being transformed into the image of Christ. We don't need a one-time decision, but we need a long obedience in the same direction over a lifetime. So here's what happens. We have this brand Jesus, this character of Jesus, this infomercial Jesus. And what that means is we have just enough familiarity with him. We know about him, but we don't have intimacy with him. And what happens is we end up inoculating people to the gospel. Inoculate. What is it? You know, when you get a vaccine, what are they doing? They're inoculating you. So uh, David Kinneman says this in a medical scenario, of course, inoculation involves exposing someone to a virus so their cells produce a natural antibody to guard against future full exposure. He says, sadly, this is an apt description of what happens with Jesus. Having been exposed to Christianity, people form patterns and habits that resist deeper faith. These faith antibodies are a part of the natural human bent away from God, but are also exacerbated by Christian structures that enable superficial, skin-deep, spiritual reality. And so when we just have brand Jesus, we have a halfway gospel. We don't have the full thing. What we end up doing is inoculating people and we put antibodies in them to a deeper faith. And it keeps them from going all the way with Christ. And the apostle Paul says this about brand Jesus and being inoculated to the gospel. Second Timothy 3, 5, it says, these type of people have a form of godliness but they deny its power. They have, you know, this thing right here looks like a vacuum cleaner. It has the form of a, of a vacuum cleaner, but I'm telling you, it don't have the power to, to vacuum up nothing. It's got the form, it's got the look, but it's dead, it's empty. It can't do the job. And that's what Jesus is saying to this dead church. He's telling them, wake up, strengthen what remains. Remember what you've seen and heard. Hold fast to that and repent. What does Jesus say to a dead church today? What does Jesus say to those of us maybe that we have a form of religion or we, we know enough about Jesus or enough about the Bible, but we don't really have any power to back it up? I want to focus in on two things on what Jesus said. He tells them two things. He says, remember what you've received and what you've heard. I could preach another hour about this passage today, but I really just want to focus on those two things. He says, you need to remember, go back, Sardis, and remember what you've seen. I'm sorry, what you've received and what you've heard. First, what you have received. Okay, now think for a second. What has the church of Sardis received? Well, who wrote this letter? John the Apostle. So this church is under the leadership of John. And so John also had some other letters in the Bible, right? He has 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's a part of this community. They would know those. But he also had a gospel, the fourth gospel. 
If you read John's gospel, what do the disciples receive in John's gospel? John 20, 22 says this, And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them, the disciples, and he says this, Receive the Holy Spirit. John says, remember what you've received. I believe that Jesus and John are telling this church today, you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Let's look again at Revelation. Jesus tells this church, he says, your works are incomplete. The word there is not fulfilled or lacking or not full. He says, your works are not full. Like imagine if I'm pouring a cup of water today and I pour it halfway. That is, a, it's not full. And that's what Jesus is saying. I've looked and you're only halfway full. He says, you're not complete. You're not full. If you, if you, if you look at the top of the of revelation that we read today, when Jesus describes himself to this church, Jesus tells this church, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit. And don't be freaked out. People are like, seven spirits? What's that all about? No, it's one spirit with seven characteristics. But here's in, in the book of Revelation, numerical patterns have theological significance in Revelation. So seven in the number of Revelation is the number of completeness or fullness. There are sevens everywhere in the book of Revelation, okay? Seven Beatitudes, seven bowls, seven churches, seven messages, seven stars, seven seals, seven thunders, okay? Seven rep means fullness. Now, what did Jesus tell this church? You're not full. You're not complete. You don't have fullness. But Jesus is the one who has the fullness of the Spirit, okay? Another number in Revelation is the number four, and four represents the number of the world, okay? Actually, after seven, four is the most repeated number in the book of Revelation. So there's four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds from the earth, four horsemen that go out into the earth, four living creatures, four horns on the golden altar. The first four judgments in each of the series of seven affect the whole world. When, when, when John wants to talk about all of the world, all the nations of the world, he always uses a fourfold saying. He talks about peoples, tribes, languages, and nations. That's a fourfold. He's talking about the entire earth. And guess how many times he talks about the entire earth? Seven times. <laughs> so uh, all of this, it, it matches together. Also, how many times do you think John talks about the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation? He mentions it four times. It, all this means something. There's theological significance here. Richard Bauckham points this out in his book. He says, the seven, talking about how the seven spirits are mentioned four times. He's saying the seven spirits are the fullness of God's power sent out into all the earth. He says the seven spirits are sent out into all the earth to make the victory of Jesus effective throughout the world. While God himself, the one who sits on the throne, dwells in heaven, not yet on earth. And while the lamb, victorious through his death on earth, now shares his father's throne in heaven, the seven spirits are the presence and power of God on the earth. 
bringing about God's kingdom by implementing the Lamb's victory through the world. Jesus is telling this church, you need, you're dead, you need to be alive, you need to be filled up again with the fullness of the Spirit of God. He's calling this church back to the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you need the Holy Spirit if you're going to overcome what the book of Revelation talks about is the beast, all right? The book of Revelation, every time we talk about it, what does everybody want to talk about? They want to talk about the mark of the beast. Who is the beast? What is his mark? These are the things we always we get interested and fixated on when we talk about Revelation. But here's what you need to know about the beast in the book of Revelation. The beast has great power in the earth. The beast is deceptive, strong, and has great power. And so God knows this. And I want you to know God's not intimidated by the beast. God has the fullness of power. If, and, and it's in the Holy Spirit. And so basically, if you want to overcome the beast, you're not going to overcome the beast, the devil, and the world by your human strength, by your human mind, or by your human ideas. If you think you are, you're misguided. I don't want you to be afraid today of the beast. A lot of people are afraid. They get scared. We look around at culture and we're terrified about, oh, look at society. It's going, look at the way culture's going. And we get so scared and we get scared for our kids and we get scared for uh, everything. And what Jesus wants you to know today is, yes, the beast has power. And yes, the beast is going throughout the earth. But God has given his people his power, the fullness of his power, the sevenfold spirit of God, the fullness of God's Spirit wants to fill you up today so you have strength and courage to stand in the face of culture around you. We need the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11:2 talks about the sevenfold Spirit of God. So John's not just pulling this idea of seven spirits out of nowhere. Actually, you can read about it in Zechariah chapter 4, and you can read about it in Isaiah 11. But Isaiah 11:2 talks about the sevenfold Spirit of God. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the servant, which is Jesus, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, you need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to give you these things, these manifestations that are going to help you live by the power of the Spirit instead of trying to live out of your own power. We mess up, we fail, we're dead when we try to live in our own power. Pastor Larry Stockstill, he used to talk about these things all the time. He taught me to pray through these things. To every day call on the Holy Spirit and to pray through these seven spirits, these seven aspects of one spirit. He said, pray for the spirit of the Lord. That represents intimacy. You know, Jesus is the one who is... We need to be close to. We need to not just be familiar with him, but know him and his word and be filled with the spirit of God so we're not dry, so we're not weak. The spirit will fill us with closeness. The spirit of wisdom, what is that? That's order. Wisdom orders our lives. The Holy Spirit, is he's not the author of confusion, but he'll help us to order our families and order our money and our marriage and our business and You know what? When God sets things in order, then he blesses them. We need the Spirit of God to come and order our steps, order our lives. 
He talks about the spirit of understanding, which is clarity, having clarity, you know, not confusion, but clarity. God, what is your purpose for my life? What is your will? What should I spend my life doing? The Holy Spirit will give us understanding in the will of God. The spirit of counsel, that's decisions you make. You know, we have to make thousands of decisions every day. And one good decision, I believe, can change a lifetime of bad decisions. So, you know, the decisions about who to marry, what jobs to take, even the decision about, hey, what church should I go to? What family should I be a part of? That's from the Holy Spirit. He should lead you. He should guide you in that. A spirit of might. This is a spirit of authority, a spirit of boldness. We need authority to to be bold and strong in the Holy Spirit in these last days, to come up against demonic principalities that try to that try to back us down and try to get us to quit and give up. We need authority. We need authority over the things that we think have us bound. And that has to do with knowledge. Knowledge is faith. You know, when we lack knowledge, sometimes we, we lack revelation knowledge about what Jesus has done for us to free us from our sin and sickness and addiction and other enemies that we have. The Holy Spirit wants to give you victory over those things. The world cannot give you victory over these things, but Jesus can through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is, the fear of the Lord is the last one. That's integrity. The Spirit of God will help us to be pure in our minds and our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our relationships to be holy and pure and true. Pastor Larry taught me those things. And I I think it's so, the Holy Spirit, sometimes we boil down the Holy Spirit to some experience. And let me say, I believe in experience in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I had a time this week where the Holy Spirit prayed through me in such a strong way. And it just, it, it, I needed it because I was up against some stuff. I needed it. And it was a strong experience. And I'm so thankful for those moments. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is so much more than just strong moments at a church service. He is the one who we need to have wisdom and order and character and have clarity, and he is the fullness of the power of God, and we need him to fill us up. This church needed him to fill them up again. Jesus said, remember what you've received. You received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, remember what you have heard. There's so much in hearing. I don't have time to cover it all today, but Hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and guiding us, leading us into all truth, it's so important. But hearing is, is, is connected to believing in John's gospel. Uh, Dr. Christopher Thomas points it out in his commentary that there is a direct connection between belief and hearing. So in John's gospel, uh, Jesus is the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You know, Jesus is the divine Word. And when the divine word, when Jesus speaks, he is, what he is speaking is not just his own words, but words from heaven. And it is the actual words of Jesus that make known to us the thoughts of the Father in heaven. Jesus said, if you've heard me, you've heard the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so hearing the words of Jesus materializes who God is. And, and faith is made possible, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Belief, trust comes from hearing. And he is telling this church, you need to remember what you've heard. You need to remember the gospel story of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question today. When was the last time the gospel took your breath away? When a church forgets the power of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ, when a church backs away from the gospel that has the power to forgive you of your sin, save you from your sin, and set you free from sin, when we back away from that, we will become dead because we're backing away. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When was the last time the cross, the blood, the body that was broken just wrecked you? When was the last time you just thanked God that you're saved today because of the blood of Jesus? In this church in Sardis, it, Jesus says, talks about people who have their garments that are soiled. He says, you're walking with soiled garments. Some haven't, but some of you are. And, 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 and what they needed to do is they needed to come again to the fountain and be made white and to be made clean. Like, what do you do with, what do you do with your dirty laundry? How do you, how, we, all got some, we all got some stuff that we need Jesus to take care of. We all got some stuff that no matter how hard you try, you can't make yourself right and you can't make yourself clean. What do you do with your dirty laundry? What do you do with something that's been ruined and stained? How do you make it clean again? Revelation chapter 7 tells us. John sees a great multitude in Revelation chapter 7. And it's a number so great it can't even be counted and it says this number of people are before the Lamb and they're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hands and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the revelation about who these people comes and it says these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Listen, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember when you heard the gospel and it finally clicked? Do you remember when you had the revelation about your sin, your depravity, but then you had the revelation about Jesus' forgiveness and it was revealed to you? Maybe you should go back and think on it today. Have you gotten over that moment? Have you forgotten it? I was reading in Galatians this week and it just hit me. Paul never got over what Jesus did for him. He never got over it. Paul was a successful Jew, a rising star in his day. But the day he met Jesus, everything else that came before that moment no longer mattered. The moment he met Jesus, the whole trajectory of his life was changed. In fact, Paul never got over the fact that Jesus came to him and revealed himself to him. He wasn't even really looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking from him. And from that point on, he was never the same. He was wrecked. Previous plans wrecked. Previous dreams wrecked. Everything else, he says, pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Have you gotten over the cross today? 
Have you had that moment? You see, remember brand Jesus, the character of Jesus, caricature of Jesus. Infomercial Jesus is the one that rides alongside of you and makes all your dreams and fulfills all your wishes. But that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the one you see. And when you see him and when you realize what he did on the cross and you realize he can forgive you of your sins and make you white as snow, that your dreams are wrecked. Everything before is wrecked. And all that matters now is Jesus And he has the claim on your life. He has the decisions over your life. He's in charge now and you belong to him. That's the real Jesus. That's the real gospel. And have you gotten over that today? Jesus tells this church, remember what you received. Go back and get again. Go back to the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back to depending upon him. Go back to crying out on him. You've lost your vigilance. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the blood. Stay vigilant in these things because when you're not vigilant is when you fall asleep. And when you fall asleep, that's when you're in trouble. This actually ties into the actual historical history of the city of Sardis. Now remember, these Seven prophetic messages are written to seven churches that are in seven cities in Asia Minor. In this city, Sardis, an actual city, in their history, they thought that they had an impregnable defense, meaning they believed that no one from the outside world could ever come and invade their city. Why? Because their city was surrounded by large cliffs and their city was setting on a hill. So the walls of this city were said to be some 1,500 feet in the air on a cliff, okay? So because they had these great walls on this great cliff, they believed that no army could ever scale that wall. But one day, while they were sleeping in the middle of the night, they weren't paying attention, they grew lax, and history tells us that through a hole in the wall, small enough for a child to defend. If they would have just had a child there, they could have stopped the whole army. But they were all sleeping and the army came through and they ransacked the city while they were sleeping and they woke up. And and when they woke up, it was too late. And they didn't learn their lesson. This actually happened twice to them in their history. Twice the city was taken down because a lack of vigilance. You see, they they, they got cocky They thought, oh, we got this city set up on this hill. No one could ever come in in here. And they, they relied on that wall that was not reliable. And they fell asleep and the enemy came in. And Jesus is telling this church, wake up, wake up, wake up. You're relying on the wrong things. You're relying on your own power. You're relying on the past. And you need to wake up and be filled with the spirit. And you need to be... Uh, have a reminder of the cross and the gospel and what it means, and you need to live out of that power or else the thief is coming. The thief is coming. It's a wake-up call. I feel this today in my heart. feel this today that God is calling his church to come back to the cross, back to the gospel, not a half-hearted gospel where we just make people feel comfortable and entertain them, but a real gospel that says lay down your life because that's where the power is. And I believe he's calling us to come back and receive again the power of the Holy Spirit 
because the, the spirit of the age is strong and we won't make it without the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be scared of the spirit of the age. We can walk in the power of the spirit in this world. So when was the last time you had a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit? And when was the last time you had a fresh revelation of the cross? That's what we need today. Father, I pray for your people. I pray that you would give them a fresh revelation of your spirit today. Give them a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. A spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding and clarity, God. Lord, I just pray today that the cross, we would have a new revelation of it, what it means, and live out of the power of the gospel, not out of the power of our own strength. Lord, I just pray that we would be a church that lives in this hour awake and alert, not asleep, but vigilant. And we won't allow even a small little hole for the enemy to get in. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. This is the fifth church. We got two more to go. Hey, I got good news. One of the churches is good news, okay? One of them, God was doing great things in it. Another one, uh, it's more, hey, we got to get some things right. So, uh, But at least we got one good one coming up in this series, and we'll see you soon.